So let's talk for a few minutes about the beginning of the year. You know, we just got through the holidays and we hosted a bunch of people at our house this year. Um, and we, I loved it. I love, I love Christmas. I love Hallmark movies. I love, um, I love food. I love all that kind of stuff. But I feel like sometimes within the holiday season, but mostly after the holiday season, I feel this high, high and this low, low. Does anybody have that ever where you can feel like you, your schedule's busy, there's kind of an abundance of people and food and activity and opportunity and the stores have lights in them and music playing and the, the movies, you know, are feel-good movies and it feels like there's I mean, you guys know I don't believe this, but like that magic in the air. It's, you know, we're, we're focusing on Christ and what he's done for us. And it just feels just inspiring and ready. And then, you know, you're going into a new year. And I think I internally begin to panic a little because of all of the conditioning about resolutions and starting a new year. And that I don't, I don't really often have that in my birthday, like during my birthday, but I definitely have it in the new year. So I don't get birthday blues, I get like new year blues. Does anybody understand that feeling? And so, you know, oftentimes I'm cutting out sugar and I'm getting back to getting a good night's sleep and I'm going to all the boring things back. Like my life is getting boring again and I hate that feeling. Yes, January panic. It's just a hard month and I and I kind of try to resist that like, oh, I don't I don't really want to experience that, but I know that it's coming and the weather kind of gets more dreary and there's nothing really to look forward to till, till maybe Valentine's Day if you even have somebody on Valentine's Day. And it just starts to feel, um, I start to feel a little claustrophobic internally, mentally, emotionally. And I was just looking at on my, on Instagram and somebody had posted that Monday is technically the most depressed day of the year for people because they get their Christmas, they get their bill from Christmas. Um, they just get to this point where like everything's kind of hitting them at once. And I was thinking about this, you know, even at, in our community at Bethel and everything that we went through in, in December, the reality that we didn't get the miracle that we were hoping for with baby Olive and just just the reality that that there's a family that has to walk this out and there's a community that has to walk this out. So I'm not here to talk about that specifically, but I just mean it's just in the atmosphere. And so I just started feeling kind of eh, like, okay, I'm going to power through this season, but it just doesn't feel great in January. And then I start, I don't know if you're like me, but when I start feeling not myself and not happy, not, not that I'm not at peace, but just kind of feeling like, oh, things aren't quite what I want it to be. I feel like my brain and my heart and everything goes into overdrive in, about criticism. So whether it's criticism of how I did the Christmas holiday, criticism of what I actually prepared this year and didn't do this year, criticism of what people said about me that I didn't have time to think about until later. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that was really mean. Or wow, that was a little bit more than I thought. Um, criticism about how other people maybe have treated me when I, when I was giving and then they weren't giving back, you know, all that stuff. And so I wanted to give you three things in how to deal with criticism and how I'm dealing with criticism in this season and how I'm kind of dealing with um, unpacking my 
my thoughts. You know, I talked a lot about this in my I Do Hard Things book, but the concept about separating our fact and thought and that that's really critical in our lives. I used to say separating fact and truth, but there are factual things, circumstances, things that have happened that are out of our control or just facts that just happened. It's this is what the bill is. This is what the relationship is. This is what's, you know, it's happened to me. This is how old I am. It's all the things that can be tried in the court of law and it be true. And then thoughts are everything we wrap around that fact. So in my heart, when I get into a season of unpacking criticism or even discouragement or depression or those type of things, I find that I have this horrible thing where I cannot separate what really happened and what I believe happened. Does anybody else feel that way? If I'm hormonal, if I'm tired, I just, I will spend so much energy trying to separate, like, was that really what happened? Did they really say that? I can't remember. Did this really true? And I find that I just, I need someone to help me. And so I'd gone to a close friend in my life and I knew I wasn't, I was like, oh, I just, I'm stuck on some of this, this narrative, this critical narrative that's kind of following me about the shoulda, coulda, wouldas that I should have done and could have done and people that I thought would be by my side are not by my side and people that I thought were supporting me aren't supporting me and people that I thought believed in me were using me and and those are things I'm thinking about. Can I say that? That sounds like really Havila, but you know, I, I start feeling like like disappointed by what has actually happened with with certain things and certain people. And I try not to go there, but then when I go there, I can't separate fact and truth. So sometimes I just leave it alone. But I, so I went to a friend and I was like explaining like, hey, this thing is happening in my life. And some of these things that aren't in my inner world, but they're in my outer world. And I feel like maybe I'm connected to that. I don't know. And the person immediately instead of going into empathy, was like, started asking me questions. I don't know if you're like this, but when I, when I get vulnerable and I really share, or I really am honest about something I'm dealing with, I don't want more questions. (laughs) I'm like, I'm not like, gosh, well, ask me some questions because I need you to walk me through this. Like, no, no, I, I really just want you to be with me in it. I don't need you to solve it for me because I almost want to say that what I'm believing I know is a lie or maybe a half truth. So I know that. So to unpack my lie isn't going to help me. If you guys are, does that make sense? Like I can sit here and ask why they did it and what I did and why all this happened, but it's still a lie. And I know that at the end of the day, I can't actually, I'll never know why or what they're doing. I won't ever know that. So the fact that I'm asking questions about something that I can't solve, Like, I can't do that. So the more they asked questions about like, well, why do you think this is happening? And do you think you had a part to play in this? I could feel my anger. (laughs) Like, like you, I wanted to look at them and say like, you are hurting me more. I'm already hurting. And now I'm coming to you in vulnerability and honesty. And now you're coming back at me and asking me stupid questions. (laughs) That's what I felt. Like... I can ask myself stupid questions. I live with myself. <laughs> like I'm not naive to stupid questions. I'm that's what I ask. I'm asking myself like why did this happen and I you don't think I didn't think about that? Of course I've thought about that. And so I could feel myself just getting more and more angry 
to the point where now I'm defending there something that's critical that's happened. And I'm like, that is not what I even want my energy to be about is critic is to unpack this criticism. I, that's not even what I'm trying to unpack. And so I just like the conversation kind of shut down and I didn't get mad or angry. I could feel myself getting angry, but I didn't say anything. I just was like, huh? Yeah, I don't think that's what it is. I'll have to think about that and just kind of shut it down. And no joke. I think it took me two days, two full days, 24 hours, 48 hours, excuse me, to, to actually understand what was going on inside of me. So it's okay if you don't know what's going on inside of you. And it's okay if you, if maybe you think it's something and it's not, the goal isn't that we know exactly what's going on, when it's going on, and that's what's powerful. I think what's really powerful is when we're willing to stick with it and figure out, is it that I'm just lonely? Or am I just angry? Am I tired? Am I hungry? But I find in my own life that the things I need to deal with often stick with me for about two days. So within, if you're upset about something or I'm upset, I'm not going to say anything about it for the first day. Like leave it alone. I have saved myself so much pain. And let me tell you, I'm not saying that because I've always been that way. In fact, I was the girl that would run into the situation with like the torch, <laughs> like throwing like, <laughs> like bombs into relationships, like running into the room and being like, why do you hate me? You know, what's wrong with you? Like on my defense. And I found that I started a lot of fights and wars relationally because I was so focused on winning the argument and winning the relationship that I just ended up hurting the relationship. And so I've learned through all my years that I don't just jump in and say something and I really wait. But if it sticks with me for about two days, I start to unpack it. And so one of the questions I was asking the Lord and asking myself was, Havala, what, what about this situation is making you feel criticized? Is making you feel, you know, like it's sometimes you feel, I don't know if you're like this, but I feel this sense of it's not what they said, it's what they didn't say. Do you know? Like sometimes my pain comes from not what they said to me, but what they didn't say to me. Sometimes my pain comes from that they implied something, but they didn't give me the truth. They weren't honest with me. Like sometimes my pain comes from knowing that someone is pulling away from me because they've made a judgment about what I've said or what I think or what how I feel about them, but they haven't had the courage to come and ask me. And so some of that begins to be complicated. But anyway, I started to kind of think about criticism and why it's hard and why, why I have a tendency to hold on to criticism more than truth and why I have a tendency to, to hold on to people's words that weren't positive rather than the words that are all around me that are positive and grace-filled. And one thing I want you to remember is this. My dog is barking. I don't know who's here, but it's this. Your brain looks for danger. So it's instinctive and it's part of the way that we were created. Remember, we are, you know, <laughs> we are uh, cavemen, you know, that's like our nature is the cavemen in us. And we're meant to look for danger and spot it and deal with it quickly because that's what's dependent on our survival. Well, that's the same thing that's happening online and in our lives, we often look for danger and our eyes will spot it before we even know we're processing it. Like, have you ever done this where you'll post something and you'll literally scan the comments to see if anything is negative? 
Like just, just to see, is there anything negative? Well, that's not because you're obsessed with people saying negative things. It's because the, your nature, your in, intuitive part of you looks for negative things because you want to be able to be safe and protected and you know you're vulnerable at this moment. And so for me, I have to realize that my brain is always going to elevate, um, elevate negativity more than positivity. Like it's always going to elevate that. And so instead of me being shocked and appalled and thinking I'm a heathen or I'm, you know, fear-filled or whatever, what if I just acknowledged like, Havala, thank you brain for looking for danger. That's your job. Thank you. But I don't, that, I don't necessarily need it for this moment. Like I acknowledge you brain. You worked really well. You showed me, show me the danger. You showed me where things could go wrong. I acknowledge it, but I'm going to dismiss it as not a real threat. So for me, I had to do that. Like, okay, it's not a real threat. It feels like a threat, but it's not a real th- threat. So it's okay. Number two, after your brain looks for danger is, <laughs> this is really, really important. And that is, you didn't start your life or the world that you're in or your vocation or your family or your church you didn't start these in order so that people would like you. you. You're not online so that people will like you. I think we initially start out by trying to have an authentic connection with people. But then after, but within all of that, we find criticism. I'm going to punch my dog in the face. Bear! No! So I think often we didn't start hoping... We, we started out hoping that, that we could create like relationships with people, but we didn't expect that there would be so much pain or vulnerability or, you know, a lack of connection or whatever it is. And so, um, you know, I think about even people that are in the public eye, you know, like I'm in a public eye in a very small sense of a lot of people I'm around, but I didn't start out to be on a platform or to have it a following of people. I did it. I, I had a gift on my life that I cultivated a calling and that calling opened up the door to more influence. But with influence, it also opens up the door to more criticism. You know, people aren't going to criticize you if they don't see you. But the more visible you are, the more criticism follows you. Now, do I think you can throw Atom bombs in a pygmy village? Yes. Do I think that you can go looking for criticism? Yes. Do I think some people online start fights because it makes them feel, I don't know, powerful or it makes them feel um, like they're like they're winning some kind of war? Yeah. I, I, do I think that's the place where we should be winning things? No. I really don't. I think most of what we talk about that are volatile and very, uh, you know, important, important conversations are not online conversations. They should be had in friendship and community and connection. And we need to be able to hear each other and see each other and talk to each other. So I think sometimes being online is, is not really the place we should be having all of these things. And sometimes people get offended and hurt online where I'm like, well, if you had used some discretion, discretion means uh, avoiding words or actions resulting in an unwanted consequence. If you had avoided that, then maybe you wouldn't be dealing with the criticism you're dealing with, but because you thought you were safe to throw this out there and now people aren't reacting the way you thought they would, you're hurt. I get that. Your pain is your pain, but 
um, ultimately, you have to decide where you're willing to put your vulnerability. So back to the point, and that is we don't start out doing certain things, even starting a church, starting a ministry, starting even being a mom. Like me being a mom, I have been shocked at how much my kids have hurt me. <laughs> I, love, I love them. I love my children. I love them. I have four sons and they are ridiculously cute and I would eat their faces today. I love them. But I live with a teenager and some of the things that kid says, I'm like, excuse me, excuse me. Who, who has given you a roof of your head? Who has fed you? Who loves you? This person right here. Like, no, you cannot talk to me that way. I love you, but that is not, <laughs> that's not happening. But all that to say, I didn't set out in marriage to be hurt. I set out in marriage because I thought this would be a place to connect relationally and do life with somebody. Have My marriage has caused more pain in my life than I ever thought possible. That's not a Ben Cunnington thing. That's just marriage hurts. Marriage is hard. Like you say things you don't mean. You do things you don't mean. You have to walk through hard things. You see the weakest and most vulnerable part of each other. You know, they see the worst of you. You see the worst of them. You say things and you know, it wouldn't be that big of a deal to somebody else, but because you're sharing your life and your family and the most private and intimate parts of who you are with that person, then they have the same strength to hurt you and wound you and offend you and, and violate you in ways that you did not know was possible because you thought it was going to be this really safe place. It was just going to be part of life. And so I, I find that giving myself permission to realize that I did not expect criticism in this area and that that has been insightful for me is very helpful. So first I understand that my brain looks for danger. And so don't be, don't, don't over, don't label myself as critical or sensitive, overly sensitive, or even a pessimist or hypochondriac, whatever it is. I'm not going to label myself. I'm just going to realize my brain, that's my brain's job. And so it's showing me where there are weak points and I'm that, thank you. But then secondly, understanding that the pain I'm experiencing is a little bit of a shock because I didn't expect that this would bring pain. I was hopeful. I was expected. I thought this would bring love and relationship and connection, and it does. But simultaneously, it brings pain and hurt. And this is like a side note, but it's taken me a decade in my life. I'm 42. It's taken me a decade to understand that the good and bad happen at the same time and that the good doesn't erase the bad and the bad doesn't erase the good. That was groundbreaking for me. I grew up in a home where there was a right way and a wrong way. There was a good and a bad. There was the right way to act. There was the wrong way to act. There was what Christians do and what Christians don't do. And having honest truth in your life is absolutely, I mean, there is a necessary and an absolute truth in our lives. We know that. But some of the absolute truth is a perspective and a a perceived black or white thing, but it's really not. And that's why we need the Bible in our lives and the tr- truth of God's word because everything else gets really messy. But I did not know that they both could survive at the same time. And so something that I have to work on, and if any of you guys are like this, like let me know because I'm sure a lot of you experience this. But as somebody who is kind of uh, a black and white thinker, me spending the time to tell myself, Havala, 
there is both good and bad happening right now. You're parenting. There is both good and bad. You're not a horrible parent. You're not a phenomenal parent. You're a good parent, but they're both happening at the same time. You, there's good and bad happening in your marriage. Like there, there's happening both. You're a great wife. He's a great husband, but you guys are poor partners. There are certain things you guys do that you shouldn't be doing and that's not good and you got to work on it. Uh, I might be a great leader. I might be a great leader. I'm not a phenomenal leader. Uh, but it just because I don't have influence over here doesn't mean I don't have influence over here. And that is okay, right? So good and bad are happening at the same exact time. And when you're willing to give yourself permission to live in the middle of that without labeling it as failure or success, life, it just gets better. When I label good and I make everything extreme about good, then when things get bad, everything is bad. Is anybody else like that? Like when everything is good, oh, it's good. And man, we did the right thing at the right time and that was right. And then when it's bad, you're like, I don't know. We missed something. We should be doing something. What? And instead just realizing like if I'm only experiencing the good right now, it's only because I can't see the bad. Like there's bad stuff happening right now. And I don't mean bad like I'm buying into evil or dark things. I mean like my relationships might be great, but there's an underlying current of something negative that's going to pop its head up because this is relationships and life. So instead of me wanting to seal it up in a, like a sweet little bow and say, it's all good, what if I just said there's good and bad and that is okay? And I'd rather focus on the good and I'd rather deal with the bad when I can, but I'm not going to let the bad define my life and I'm not going to let the good overlook the bad that I need to actually be aware of and I can live with both. Does that make sense? Give me a heart if that makes sense. So it's the same way with what in my life, once I understand that, it's really important that in my, when I experience criticism, I go, I see criticism. I see that that's a negative experience. I see that that person's experience in me was negative, but I'm not all negative and I'm not all bad. And my reaction wasn't all bad. In fact, I'm a great friend over here. I'm a great uh, person. I do the right thing over here. So that was over here, the bad part and the good part. And I'm not going to let either of them be true. <laughs> let them both live at the same time. Like, actually, I'm going to let both of them be true, but I'm not going to let one override the other or dominate the other. Once you get this concept, life gets so much easier. And as a optimistic Enneagram 7, this took me a long time to understand. In fact, I thought that if I could rid myself of all pain and rid myself of all disappointment and heartbrokenness, and I could rid myself of all criticism, then I was doing the right thing. And no. No, I will never be able to rid myself of all the pain and all the criticism and all of the failure and the things that come. I, I can deal with it. I can live through it. I can change my methodology. But at the end of the day, I have to be okay with living with both. And once you understand that, life gets a lot easier. All right, lastly is this. After we understand that we live in both the good and the bad and we understand that our brain looks for danger is that some of the criticism, and this is kind of what I was touching on before, it's true. Like what I was experiencing and telling my friend about how this made me feel and what this might be happening and why they did this, the truth was 
the reason I wanted her to affirm me in it was because I didn't want it to be true. I wanted it, her to say like, it's a total lie. None of that's true. It's, that's not truth. But I knew deep down that I actually didn't want her to confirm my validity that I somehow was right and that that was wrong. What I really wanted her to do was say, even if you were wrong, I still love you and I'm with you. Like that's really what I wanted from my friend was this sense of like, that might all be true about you, Havila, and you might have done that and your friend might have had that reaction, but I still love you and and I still believe in you and that's not all that you are. I needed somebody to affirm that I'm more than the failure of the situation. Does that make sense? And I think when I could admit that some of this is true and that is okay, life gets easier. So if someone criticizes us in person or online or in our world, instead of being so defensive and believing that if they, if I admit that I was wrong or that that was weird or that is happening, that doesn't necessarily negate the fact that there's a lot of good happening and that that's just a small portion. Here's where I think my brain goes. My brain goes to scarcity. My brain goes to finalities. This is it. It's over. You, you messed it up. You can't fix it. My brain goes to, you're never going to get that back. You're never going to get that chance back. You're never going to, they're never going to believe in you again. They're never going to let you in again. You know, you could have had this and then my brain loves to create storylines around it. And it loves to dream about all the could have things that would have happened if everything had worked out. You know, if that person had said yes, then this is what my life would have looked like. And all the pain and all the fear and all the criticism would be gone. It would be erased. It wouldn't be in my life because if that one thing had happened differently, then I would not be experiencing any of the bad. And I just want to unpack that for you for a minute. Like that's not true. Even if everything had turned out the way you wanted it to turn out, you would still be dealing with discouragement and criticism and fear and all these things. Maybe not in a paralyzing way, but you'd have to face it. You'd have to face it. Okay, I'm going to end with this last story. I was listening to this podcast, this call-in show where people get to call in and ask questions. And so this caller calls in and it's a woman and she calls this psychologist and she says, I'm married to this incredible man. I have two small children. I love my life. I love my life. I love what I've built. My husband's incredible. But I used to have this ex-boyfriend that we were together. I knew he wasn't the right one for me. I knew that he wasn't going to be my husband. And so when we broke up and I married my husband, I knew that was the right decision. But I have this, uh, this fantasy and this kind of moment in my life every once in a while where I can't stop but obsess about being with this man. Like I can't stop thinking about what my life would have been like if I had married him and if we had had our life together. And I just, and I feel guilty. I feel guilty that I'm in the middle of my home and my kids and my husband and now I'm thinking about another man and I feel guilty like... Why am I doing this? And, you know, I feel like I'm betraying my husband, even thinking about this. And yet I keep thinking about this. And what, why? Why am I doing that? And 
she said to her, the psychologist, she said, well, do you think you should have married this man? And she goes, no, no, I made the right decision. My husband is the right guy. Um, she said, then that man represents a world where none of the hard things that you have to face today is included. So you have now created an internal narrative, storyline, fantasy, but in that storyline of that one person that could have, should have, would have, whatever, in that story, there's no criticism, there's no pain, there's no fear. It's like that's your safe place. That's where your brain gets to land. And she asked her this question, when do you think about this man the most? And the woman said, when I feel overwhelmed with my life, when I feel like I can't do what I need to do. And the psychologist said, exactly. You see, this man represents part of you that wants to check out and think that the hard things you're facing today wouldn't be real if you had made a different decision. And the truth is, that man, it's not about that man at all. It's about a face to a fantasy life that you imagine if life would just be easier if I could have made a different decision. And we assume that criticism and fear and anxiety and all these things won't follow us. If that person had said yes to us, if we had said yes to that thing, that job, that marriage, that opportunity, that education, that city, whatever it is, I wouldn't be dealing with this pain. And I personally sat there and felt so convicted because I had a story like that in my own head. And I don't know about you, but it wasn't about a person. It was about an opportunity that I had said no to that just would haunt me every time something like this would happen where I would face something and think, I can't do this. This is too much. There's no way I can do all of this. I feel like I'm being asked to do more than I can bear. I would imagine what it would have been like if they had given me the opportunity and now my sucky life is bringing me into this sucky moment <laughs> and then I would feel ashamed because it wasn't about my kids or my husband. It wasn't about the opportunities I had been given. It was a storyline that I had nurtured because of fear, because of dread, because of the things I didn't want to face. So... I guess that's a question I want to ask you today. Is there someone or something that haunts you in the middle of these moments of criticism and hard things you got to face? Like you got to do it. You know it's in front of you. You know you're going to have to get through this. You're going to have to do what's important. But are you wrapped up in part of that story? And once the psychologist told the woman this, the woman was like, that's exactly what it is. And the psychologist said, you're never going to fantasize about this man again because we have just uncovered what this has done for you and what benefit this has done for you. See, we never do things without a benefit for it or a payoff. So today, in our last few minutes, I just want to remind you that if you're feeling discouraged or, or depressed or just blah, like sometimes you don't have to be depressed or discouraged, you just have to feel like blah. I want you to know a few things, and that is your brain is on overdrive looking for criticism. So if your brain picks out or points out something that's critical, tell your brain, brain, thank you for showing me my flaws. Thank you for showing me their flaws. Thank you for showing me the conflict. But I, I am not in danger. I'm okay. And you have to be able to dismiss that. Secondly, 
You have to be allowed, you have to be able to live with good and bad at the same time. So just because you got into something, didn't you did not anticipate the negativity that would come with it. So you can have good and bad happening at the same time. So today, if you're feeling kind of blah or angry or frustrated or depressed, don't hold yourself to that. That is not your whole life. Like just stop right where you are and take a deep breath. What you are feeling right now is that your brain and your heart and your emotions and your thoughts are connecting to the darker part of life right now. There's a really good part of life that your brain will connect to in a few days or even in a couple hours or even in a couple weeks. Your brain will kick into those good parts. You'll have to maybe intentionally focus on those good parts, but at this point, the only thing you're experiencing is you're just seeing the harder part of life. I hate this part of my life. I hate not living in the holiday season. I hate boring things and routine and schedules and bills. And I hate all of that. I'm like, no, thank you. But at the end of the day, both good and bad are happening at the same time. And then lastly, some of it is true. So instead of trying to defend yourself, here's the thing. If you act like something isn't true and you know you did it, you're lying to yourself and you won't believe yourself. You'll betray yourself. So instead of defending something that isn't real, what if you just said, there's a little truth in there. There's also a little bad in there. There's a lot of, some lies in there. Both happen at the same time. So instead of saying, it's all good, I didn't do anything wrong and defending yourself, what if you just humbled yourself and said, yeah, my reaction has been great. I should have done that. I didn't do that. I wish I had known in hindsight and allow yourself to accept it. Because when you actually admit it, then you get whole. I had said this in the book, I Do Hard Things. But I love the quote that says, liars don't heal. Liars don't heal. And I think about this. If there's conflict and you're responsible, then admit it. Confess your sins one to another. Confessions to God. Admit it to yourself, but don't let it be a life sentence. It's not a life sentence. It's just not. I love you guys, and I'll catch you next time.